Hello. Check, check, check. Hello. I'm going to talk about dance like this. Maybe I'll get excited like this. <laughs> I don't get it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast about contemporary performance in Edmonton. I'm Paul. I'm Fonda. And we are happily part of the Alberta Power... Uh, I did this last time, too. We are happily part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. We sure are. And it's sort of been like... Just a full plate the last couple of weeks, Fonda. Yeah. What I mean, the amount of stuff you can see in January and February in Edmonton on stage, it just astounds me. And it's a great time of year, I guess, because you don't always want to go outside. Yeah, but it's sort of like it's that time of year where we've all accepted that it's cold and it's not close enough to spring yet to be like, oh, I don't want to. But it's like we're used to it. So it's like, yeah, I'll go see eight shows. I'll do it. <laughs> I'll goddamn do it. <laughs> and we almost did that. We almost did all eight. Um, but for we're, for starters, we're going to talk about a show that we saw at Theater Network. That you saw. Um, that I saw. And when I say we, I actually mm. mean me and our ever-silent co-producer, Andrew Paul. Um, so, yes, Andrew and I saw Sheldon Elter in Métis Mutt, his um, wonderful one-man show. Uh, and... Let's see. What? Where do we want to start? How did you? How did you feel about Métis Mutt? Uh, I really enjoyed it. Actually, one of the things that uh, I really connected with in the show uh, was actually the geography uh, of the story. So a lot of it uh, took place in northern Alberta, which a lot of my family is from there. So when Sheldon was telling the story about uh, his career and and life growing up, I felt uh, quite connected to uh, some of the places that um, he was talking about. Yeah, some of the um, the major plot points really that happen in the story are all very tied to geography, including you know when he even starts school in uh, at Grant McEwen in Edmonton. That's kind of like another big um, yes, point at the for him. old Orange Arts Campus. Which, <laughs> coincidentally, I also went to that campus as well. So. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, so Métis Mutt starts out with um, Sheldon kind of going through his his personal history. He he uh, as an artist, he talks about how he kind of started out in stand up comedy um, and then kind of progressed more into theater and performance. Um, but the way that he begins with the stand up comedy bit was really. Um, it was really powerful and affecting, I thought, the way that he kind of, you know, started making some, you know, silly jokes uh, that were you know, pretty racist, but, you know, racist towards Aboriginal people. Um, and, you know, the audience kind of giggles a little bit, but then the jokes get meaner and meaner and there's a laugh track that comes in and it starts becoming like really vicious. Yeah, that laugh track uh, was a very smart touch on the sound design when he started with the line of jokes uh the audience was actually laughing along with him but as those jokes sort of progressed and got a little bit more and more uh, racist um the actual audience stopped laughing along and that's where the laugh track sort of filled that really awkward silence uh, that would have been there so for both of you having seen the seen the show, um, this is a this is a a one person show that Sheldon has been doing for more than a decade. Mm -hmm. 
Do you feel that is that does it feel that polished? Does it feel like it's changed probably over the years um, as far as as far as you know? Yeah, I feel that um, it's it's probably grown. I haven't actually ever seen it before. This is the first time I've seen it. Um, I do know that it's gone through a number of iterations um, and um, padding out in the story. Uh, and I've heard um, him talking about that he really wanted with this production in particular to emphasize more about how his mother really helped break the cycle of violence in his family. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, it was it was really interesting to see Sheldon play all of the different characters, too. He played his mother. He played his his aunts, his father, um, who was uh, abusive to his mother. And yeah, some really, really tough scenes, actually. Uh, Eva, Sheldon playing himself as a child um, in, you know, like an abusive situation. It was just, it was really affecting. Like, I'm getting upset talking about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, some of the content matter was uh, very... Very intense um, and tough to deal with. I also really liked the set design, though. Before the show went up, I was watching some Instagram video from Tessa Stamp, who I believe was the set designer. Yep, set designer. Uh, and it was this video of this dump truck backing up and um, all of these rocks, uh, <laughs> large <laughs> rocks pouring out of the back uh, behind uh, the Roxy Theater there. Uh, and so when you walked into the theater, uh, you were sort of met with this circle of stones, which is sort of reminiscent of maybe uh, like a fire pit uh, or maybe um, the stones that weigh down the edge of a, a teepee or something like that. And then along the back was this stretched hide, which acted as a screen for the video projections, Projection, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I thought were um, quite well used as well in the show. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and the projection wall was great because it really, I mean, it emphasized the setting. It, it showed a lot of that sort of like Alberta, northern Alberta places and things. Um, and it also even served as the backdrop for when he's in the comedy club. You know, they threw up the sort of traditional like or standard brick wall. Nice. <laughs> so so uh, what do you think the, the longevity of this piece is? I know, I know you didn't see earlier versions of it, but why do you think it's been able to last for, for uh, more than a decade as sort of this very compelling piece of theater? I think it's because, I mean, he's refined the writing, he's refined the story a lot. Uh, Ron Jenkins directed this production too, so you could really see there's there's a good outside eye and kind of um, how you're carried through the story. Um, and I think that, you know, I mean, we, we're in the age of reconciliation now. I think that this show has more legs than, than ever, really. We are going to see more productions like this. This one, I think, is, is so... Um, it's really powerful because it is so personal. We see Sheldon as like a funny guy on APTN, on Delmer and Marta. Um, and this one, he's talking about a lot of really painful stuff in this show. I mean, he has, he definitely has his funny moments. Um, but, uh, and, you know, of course, really speaks to him as like a very, uh, a performer with great range. He's got amazing physicality. Um, yeah, and to do the character scale that he does in this show, too, of his entire family and everyone. Uh, and also his magician friend. I don't remember the magician's name. Mark. It was Mark's. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, he's just, uh, he's, he's a fantastic performer. And I think that, I mean... I, I'm not sure if the show is done changing either. You know, maybe as as a as an artist, he'll continue to refine and and do more with it. Yeah, um, I sort of have that same uh, feeling as well. This was a little bit of like a well, it is a biographical piece of Sheldon, um, but there wasn't a lot of actually Edmonton theater history in there, which I'm pretty sure there could be that would fit into the story. Um, just knowing how much uh, how big of a part the Sheldon is with the local theater community here, and going to school with. 
uh, a bunch of the folks that we all kind of know and are seeing on stage is uh, still from. There was there was <laughs> that really sweet musical theater moment when he sings about meeting his his future wife Christy, and it's just like a very sweet, happy. Um, blip sort of in in an otherwise kind of like ch really challenging story um but that was really cute <laughs> yes so well that was metis mutt um at theater network and yeah we really enjoyed it um go see it if you still can um so that was one thing what else did you see fonda this uh, week uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna do the the ad before uh, we before we Hop into Brian, I think. Tell me about the ad. Okay, yes. Yeah. So um, today I'm going to talk a little bit about ATB's Entrepreneur Center. Are you starting or building a business? ATB's Entrepreneur Center is a great place to go. Of course, they can help you with your banking, but they also offer workshops and networking opportunities. They can also help you get set up with a mentor. Um, and I saw, I met some folks from ATB at the uh, Alberta Women Entrepreneurs Learning Day this week. And uh, yeah, they sound like some really great folks. They do events there all the time just for learning about um, how to start your business, what to do with branding, all that kind of thing. So you can go check out ATB.com and the Entrepreneur Center in Edmonton is uh, on the south side on Calgary, Calgary Trail. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Next up. <laughs> Mile zero dance. That was like a that was a little laugh you just gave of, of oh, what? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I saw, um, Mile Zero Dance, one of Mile Zero Dance's Dance Crush series was this last weekend with Andrew Tay, an artist from Montreal. Um, great title. You can't buy it, but I'll sell it to you anyways, sucker. Um, <laughs> yeah. So great. So what, what can't you buy? What, uh, what is Andrew Tay selling in this show? Uh, well, he's really selling himself and his own body. It's a, it's a very personal show. It's very vulnerable physically. Um, it, I, I, do get to talk with Brian Webb about this. And Brian, as we know, loves to talk about dance. So it was really great uh, to have his voice on this to provide a little bit of context for what you hear Brian talking about. Andrew Tay strips down to, um, uh, it's kind of like an assless ginch. <laughs> okay. It's blue in color. It's <laughs> Excellent use of the word ginch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's it. It, it kind of looks like a bright blue sort of thing you might find in an S&M or leather bar. Um, yeah. Um, I'm going to I'm going to leave it here and just we're, we're going to let Brian Webb talk about this show because I totally didn't get it. <laughs> Good. I am here in the heart of Little Italy outside Spazio Performativo with the Brian Webb. Uh, we've just seen a performance by Montreal's Andrew Tay. Hello, Brian. Hey, Fonda. Actually, that was a pretty good performance, too, I thought, eh? Yeah, it was, uh, well, I don't, I don't know what I expected, but um, I was quite surprised by the entire thing. <laughs> so um, what, were, what are some of your immediate thoughts coming well, out? My first thought was how beautiful the space was. I loved those oversized dolls sitting there watching the performance. All the stuffed plush animals, yeah. Exactly. And uh, the writing. I mean, everything was really colorful, fanciful, quite beautiful, I thought. I loved all that. Mm -hmm. And then... I mean, I guess uh, my second reaction to it was he made me feel really tense. Yeah, like the incredible tension in the body yeah. and just, but also very captivating. It, at times it didn't seem like there was a lot of 
big motion going on, but there was no. a, a great tension in, in, the, in the physique. Yeah, and like at the beginning, how he held all that tension in his hands. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, my whole spine was crawling by the end of that. Actually, I, I, thought, I thought that part could have gone on much longer and he could have driven us bananas. <laughs> you know? it, did, it did have that sort of just kind of like, is, wow, how long has this been happening? Yeah. It didn't actually seem that long by the time he got to a different no. segment. And because, like, even at the end, I thought, oh, this is a short piece. It wasn't really a very long piece, right? No, no, about 50 minutes long. Yeah. And so, uh, and then, you know, he, I thought the text is a bit cryptic, and then let's party. But there wasn't a great invitation to party, I mean, you can take that many ways, especially in the kind of underwear he was wearing with his ass exposed. (laughs) I mean, so, okay, we can party with him, especially with the texting, etc. I'm not sure sure what I felt about all of that. he was he was very open lonely. yeah lonely yeah. um he was very invitational about um you know there there was the prompt for the audience to text a certain number which would be um relayed in audio over throughout the performance for him to maybe respond to yeah. um but there was also him speaking into the microphone say, giving sort of an invitation to use his body um but it wasn't about pleasure no. there was some it, it seemed kind of torturous uh, yeah. in some places. Even maybe uh, masochistic, hey? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there was something about the ass being exposed. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, when he was on the floor in front of the inflatable robot, <laughs> I mean, his ass was very exposed, right? Right, right out to us, yes. Right out to us. And so you're going, okay... What do I feel about that now? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's... That kind of costume, the kind of... The way he exposed himself, I mean... Um, I mean, that's part of gay pornography. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so... And he talks about... In the program notes, too. It's not about pleasure. This isn't about pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so then, okay, as the viewer, how am I to take his body? I mean, that was another reason. It just made me feel really tense. Yeah, there was the part that he used a sort of like a almost like a clear gel. It was like a hair gel or something, oh, yeah. and and uh, you know, kind of we all laughed, giggled a little bit when he squirted it, uh, standing upright, squirts it onto his belly, and then but starts um, contracting very intensely, digging his hands. Yeah, and it was like he was burrowing into his gut. Yeah, right. And because of the sound yeah. the gel is making, it really sounds. It's a, this visceral, like, oh my god, he's digging into his own body, like yeah. physically and literally in your in your in your well, face. Well, and don't you think like you're a, you're affected by everything? We're affected by everything, like 
I was watching the news around five, and it was all about the um, gay serial killer oh, in, Toronto. in, in mm-hmm. Toronto and being charged with killing another body today. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was something really vulnerable about what he was doing, what Andrew was doing. Um, there's an invitation almost to abuse him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of, I had a lot of mixed feelings going on. Yeah. Um, including I was a bit horrified by it. I don't know, were you? What, I, I mean, what did, that's how, kind of how I felt. What mm-hmm. about you? How I'm, did you feel with that? I felt a little unsettled by it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, feel, I felt that we were in a safe performance space, for one. So I, I, yeah. could, I, could, I could at least separate myself from feeling that he was in danger. He was trying to tell us something, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know what okay, to make of Okay, do you feel the, he could have... I felt he could have gone a little further mm. in confronting us you mm-hmm. know like uh, so that we couldn't separate ourselves from the performance because so I was safe. aware of that too mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. knew I was safe yeah yeah he didn't he obviously he actually I expected from the top of the show the way that he addressed the cell phones being on and things like that I thought that there would be more audience interaction yeah, which too. I dread I always dread <laughs> but um, but it didn't really happen other than just the invitation to text yep. so we so we were very safe as the audience yep. we could just sort of watch him be vulnerable and and abuse himself really yeah mm-hmm. and still I mean he um I mean, this always happens in performance, but he super objectified himself. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel I really ended up knowing much about him as a person. Yeah. It, I found it a very kind of, um, I don't want to use the word guarded. It wasn't guarded, but he, he presented himself, I thought, in a really objectified way, mm-hmm. almost like an object that we were almost invited, I felt, to abuse. Mm-hmm. And because we didn't know him personally, there was nothing sentimental, even about the stuffed animals well, or anything. Yeah. Or even, I'm not even sure I cared after a while. <laughs> you know, I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't caring for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it left me a bit cold and in somewhat intrigued for sure like I am intrigued by it but uh, I felt no emotion from it mm-hmm. I yeah. was really I felt cold yeah I mean the emotion uh, the the images evoked certain thoughts but I didn't feel emotional about it yeah. either yeah yeah I would I would interesting mm-hmm. I mean it's always it's interesting how the body is presented in performance and I mean, as a a performer who's been performing for many years, I'm keenly interested in how I embody the performance. Like, what is my body feeling as I'm performing and what from my embodiment am I sending out to the audience? Mm -hmm. 
So I was watching him. I was, I was intrigued uh, watching him, figuring out what is this guy doing? What's he doing to me? Mm-hmm. And yeah. do you know? Do you know now? No, <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, talking with you right now. Um, I mean, there there is something about objectification going on. That's obvious mm-hmm. in the piece. I mean, I didn't find it titillating. Yeah, it didn't I mean, seem like I mean, as a gay that. man mm-hmm. <laughs> watching a gay man. Uh, you know, I didn't get a boner, <laughs> you know? Right, right. But I'm, I was intrigued by what he was doing, for sure. I mean, he's very good. He mm-hmm. knows what he's doing up there. Yeah. As objectifying as it was, it didn't seem sexual. Like, oh, I thought it was pretty sexual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, even that goop that he <laughs> squirted onto his navel mm-hmm. and then squeezed it out. Yeah. Plop onto the floor <laughs> I guess that you know yeah, yeah. Um, I found the piece pretty sexual but not sensual yeah that's that's a great way to put it I yeah. think yeah um, well so next week we have um, your company presenting Toronto Dance Theatre coming up yeah um, so uh, so give our audience a little bit of a um, uh, what should we be watching for what can we look forward to in that well, for me, Christopher House is really an important Canadian choreographer. I feel he's a choreographer that really loves dancing, and his pieces are about dancing, right? So there's, we're seeing pieces he's created over his career, one of which is one of my very favorite dances, Venekeva. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just love that dance. And uh, But there's also going to be a new dance. Toronto Dance Theatre, for me, is always about the dancing. Mm-hmm. I love dancing. <laughs> I <Okay>. know. <laughs> and uh, dancing's my life. And so I'm engaged by that company that way. Whereas this performance tonight was very performative. Mm-hmm. It, and it was, it, it also revealed the kind of embodiment, but I would say it was the exact opposite of what will happen with TDT. Right, yeah. You know, TDT is about full-out dancing, right? Mm-hmm. By a company of kick-ass dancers. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I'm, we're very much looking forward cool. to it. So, I, yeah. I think it's going to be really great for sure. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for giving us a hot take, Brian. This has been great. I love it. Okay. Thanks, Fonda. It was fun. Cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a real time. Woo! <laughs> um, yeah. So um, then we actually saw a show together. We did it. Ball. We managed. Woo! <laughs> we went to uh, City Ballet's new, newest show, Intersect, as, as part of their, their season this year. Uh, which is the first city ballet show I've uh, I've ever seen. Yeah, and and what did what were your some of your first impressions? I guess ab- about the company. Uh, I guess uh, it struck me how young the company is. It is very much uh, an an emerging company and sort of a emerging sort of professional uh, dance company on the on the scene. So with this there were there were two pieces, um, uh, both with uh, guest choreographers. Uh, one was Brett Taylor uh, from. 
Les Ballet Jazz, De Montreal. I mean, yeah, you could definitely see the influence of Les Ballet Jazz, and I, I would even say Azure Barton and some of in, in the in the piece that was presented, which was called Gate Three. Sure. In what ways, Fonda, could you see that that influence? Like, what is what does that name mean in the dance, the greater dance community? So one of the one of the characteristics that I that I don't know, at least I kind of try and recognize, or, or it seems to come up a lot for me, is um, when you see Les Ballet Jazz. And I've seen you know, some Azure Barton stuff that uh, it, it feels like the ensemble pieces are all very strongly character driven by the individual dancers themselves. The movements that they create seem to be actually out of individual personalities that are on the stage. And um, and it always kind of feels like they're a bunch of dancers from a small town. Like they, yeah. it looks it looks sort of folksy in costume and in movement as well. Um, it looks the, a little bit like everyone dressed up to go to the fair. Yeah. And they play with a lot of social dynamics dynamics that you would find one of the uh, really cute parts I would say in the show is the three three female dancers on the bench Mm -hmm. Um, and it felt like it felt like it was a piece sort of about almost about gossip Um, but yeah they were just sort of like playing with each other and and uh, you know uh, mirroring and things like that and I I, I, that piece that part of the piece really stood out for me yeah so it's this it's sort of uh, the ensemble of I'm gonna say nine uh, nine-ish uh, dancers on stage, uh, and it, they're sort of periodically lined up. And it's sort of like it's not that there's a narrative, but we're sort of like diving into some of the connections between these characters. So there are these vignettes of twos and threes, and then sort of group numbers as well that that uh, that explore some of those dynamics. Some of them seem romantic, like a will they, won't they sort of <laughs> yeah. uh, vibe. There was the one on the on the bench. There was some some like that that sort of gave that that impression. Yeah, of sort of like a. All of the social dynamics uh, being explored through through the body and movement, yeah, uh, which felt really joyful at times. It was really um, there was a lot of um, play, I guess, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't always happen in in the contemporary dance we see. But there was sort of a sense of. Um, of playfulness to uh, to the proceedings. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think we were on on the on the way home, we were sort of chatting about you know, man, that looked like it was really fun to be in. Yeah, you know, like it looked like they were having a great time doing it because the and the choreography was it was quick, it was well danced. Um, you know, like the, it is it is a physically like talented company, and um, I yeah, I did appreciate the style of the choreography. Um, City Ballet. Uh, historically focuses on neoclassical ballet. So sometimes on point, sometimes not. This piece was not. Um, and yeah, I I just really appreciated some of the unique, uh, there was unique partner work, unique lifts. Um, yeah, and also just it seemed there was there was a ca- uh, sort of a, like a light casualness to it that, that made it feel, you know, pretty chilled and fun. And I would I would love to see more of this choreographer in the future. Um, I think I think he's he's got legs. Let's say. Sure, <laughs> great. So that was that was piece one. The second piece was uh, "See Me," uh, which was sort of um, uh, choreographed by a former city ballet dancer, but also sort of a, a bit of a collaboration with the Nina Hegarty Center for the Arts, in that the the set itself and what seemed like some of the the costuming, yeah, uh, was with uh, Scott Barry and other artists from the Nina Hegarty. Mm-hmm. And to contrast that piece of you know feeling fun and light, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, this one was this one had um, a much darker feel to it. Yeah, it was sort of a, seemed to be exploring anxiety uh, and sort of the feelings and some of those more the feelings of those vulnerable moments in our in our lives. Mm-hmm. It uh, it felt maybe a little more 
traditional in sort of its dance, I guess, in that sense of mm-hmm. neoclassical. Yeah, they were on point. The mm-hmm. the female dancers were on point in this in this one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but maybe uh, this one wasn't quite as strong. And I think I think to me it was sort of like that sense of this is a young company and they're they're emerging. And I think uh, I think with this one, some of the movement wasn't as as crisp as. Uh, as maybe it uh, it was sort of purported to be, or sort of like uh, was angling to be with with some of that, and I'm not sure always that the that narrative or even those some of those ideas of anxiety really uh, were clearly delivered. Mm-hmm. I think I think it was because possibly it was technically a lot tighter to mm. work with, I think. Um, and also because, you know, they're dealing with sort of a darker subject matter, mental health anxiety, um, that, you know, it is, it does end up really, you do end up kind of really focusing a little bit more in on, um, is that line straight, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, the first piece did have that more casual feel. So even if it wasn't technically super perfect, you didn't really notice because it was more character-based. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there were there were some some really gorgeous moments within it. My the one that comes to mind was uh, all of the dancers had cleared the stage, and then sort of out from a, a stage left, audience right, uh, one dancer sort of started twirling on point, and then from out of this sort of staggered flats uh, that were the background, uh, two dancers sort of synchronized with that. So we suddenly oh, had yeah. these three people sort of spinning across the stage, and that was a really beautiful moment that stood out for me. Yeah, there was um, there was a lot of use of synchronization too, mm-hmm. um, and kind of uh, um, staggered staggered movement mm-hmm. um, I did really like the piece or the part of the piece um, at the end with the really big piano that came in the movement got really mm-hmm. big and dramatic um, that was that was kind of a neat neat way to start closing it down yeah this one was scored uh, mostly by classical music <laughs> Um, sonatas, uh, string quartets, uh, nocturnes, uh, those sorts of things. The first piece was more contemporary. Had uh, Beirut, Calexico, yeah, Andrew yeah. Bird. Uh, so, so just uh, different vibes, which is a nice pairing in that sense. If they were both very distinct pieces, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, um, I mean, that was a super big week. So, yeah, I think we're, I think we're ready to head on to what's coming up next. Before we do that, Fonda. Oh I yeah, have... sorry. The, we ran over each other's ads. Yeah, I have an ad to read. Uh, the Alberta Podcast Network presents Doug Hoyer Band and Strings and Opod the Game at the CKUA Radio Performance Hall in Edmonton on March 17th at 7 p.m. Uh, you can join the Alberta Podcast Network for an evening of music and whimsy in celebration of the fans of Alberta-made podcasts. The music will be provided by Doug Hoyer, the man responsible for more Alberta podcast theme songs than anyone, and a performer of many fine tunes, now with the accompaniment of a string quartet. The whimsy, Doug will bring some for sure, but they'll also test contestants' knowledge of podcasting with Opod, the game. It will be silly, and there will be prizes. And you can learn more at albertapodcastnetwork.com. That sounds so fun and whimsical. Whimsical and <laughs> trivia-ish. Podcast yeah. trivia. Oh, pod the game. I, oh, I want to play some of that. Great. Okay. So what's coming up, Fonda? That was a big week, but it's not done yet. Yes, it was a super big week. So um, first up in the next couple of days, we have um, Marie Hennine um, talking as part of the Forward Thinking Speaker Series presented by EPL and Edmonton Community Foundation. Um, and she's speaking, uh, she's got a talk called Reflections on Justice and Leadership. That's February 27th at the Chateau Lacombe. After that, we have uh, Brian Webb. Uh, the Brian Webb Company is presenting Toronto Dance Theatre's show House Mix, which is happening February 28th and March 1st. 
then we'll also this week, we're going to go see La Traviata. We're calling in our opera expert again, Colleen Fian. Um, that's presented by Mercury Opera. Guess where that show's at, Bob? Where, Fonda? It's going to be at Chez Pierre. Wicked. Yeah. Um, they're also doing a family-friendly version at the church on 99th. Oh, that's very um, funny yeah. to me, that there's both. <laughs> um, and uh, those, so that's March 1st to 3rd and 8th to 10th. Cool. And then uh, in the theater side of things, uh, Paretic Productions is uh, doing uh, Blood of Our Soil, uh, which is a show that got sort of a workshop run last year, but is now in its its full uh, configured state, uh, which is happening February 28th to March 9th. Uh, also coming up is the Romeo Initiative from March 1st to 11th, and that's part of the Skirts of Fire Festival, which runs March 8th to 11th, because as March is coming up, we have, um, you know, the w- International Women's Day. Absolutely. Yeah. And then last but certainly not least, at least if you're not, a, if not if you're an ABBA fan, uh, Mamma Mia is currently playing at the Citadel uh, and running until March 18th. So if you really got to get your ABBA on, that's the place. Yeah. ABBA, costumes, musicals. Oh, my. <laughs> so much stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thanks for listening, everyone. And um, uh, go see some shows. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blinov. Sit here thinking about love.